Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm Aaron Mack. Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We are recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, July 9th. On today's show, we'll talk about how ICE agents and the FBI are using facial recognition software to scan through millions of driver's license photos that they obtain through state DMVs. To learn more about this practice and to get a general update on facial recognition and law enforcement, I'll talk to Jake Laparouk. He's senior counsel at the Constitution Project, which is part of the Project on Government Oversight. After the interview, my colleague Shannon Paulus will join me for Don't Close My Tabs, where we'll talk about the best things we saw on the web this week. That's all coming up on If Then. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Over the weekend, The Washington Post reported that immigration officials and the FBI are working with local DMVs to scan through driver's license databases using facial recognition software. Some states allow undocumented immigrants to get driver's licenses, but it now seems like these people could be putting themselves at more risk if they do so. These searches are done with little oversight or regulation, and lawmakers have generally not authorized this arrangement. And of course, they're not just scanning licenses of potential suspects or undocumented immigrants. They're scanning through all the licenses in the database. So millions of citizens and non-citizens alike are becoming unwilling participants in a government surveillance practice. Joining us to talk about the civil liberties implications of all this is Jake Laparouk. He's senior counsel at the Constitution Project, which is part of the Project on Government Oversight. Jake, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So given that you've been following facial recognition for a while now, what stuck out to you the most about this arrangement? Um, Well, we've seen similar things um, like this before. So this unfortunately was, while somewhat shocking, not exactly surprising. I think the biggest news out of this is is ICE's involvement. Um, We've seen some forays into facial recognition by ICE before. Um, Last year at Pogo, we reported that Amazon was in active discussions with ICE um, to potentially purchase their facial recognition software. But we haven't seen until now any definitive signs of ICE on a systematic basis using facial recognition. In this case, it turns out they're actually co-opting states, um, going to states and saying, run these facial recognition scans for us. So it's still not quite, as far as we know, them using the technology themselves in-house. But, you know, it's a a large-scale and troubling attempt to harness the power of facial recognition technology, which in the past we've seen um, to a large degree by local police departments and the FBI. Um, But this is really new ground of of ICE jumping into the facial recognition fray as well. Can you walk us through the details of how these federal agencies are working with state DMVs? Uh, In what cases are these driver licenses being used? So the FBI, for a long time we know, has had a very extensive relationship with states and state DMVs. Um, what they do is enter into uh, state compacts. Uh, they do this with over 20 states right now where 
the states will set up arrangements where they can ask the FBI to run searches and the FBI, in addition to their databases of public sector employees and uh, the National Mugshot Database, will have access to run facial recognition searches across those states that they've made agreements with their DMVs. Um, these arrangements are typically just done with government officials, not elected officers. Um, there's only two states out of the 20 plus that have made these arrangements that have actually had anyone who was elected to office engage in the process at all. It's never been something that's like a law passed or a governor um, signing a public order. Um, so the public's really been cut out of this process pretty much entirely. And everyone who goes to the DMV in these states is effectively being run through a facial recognition search anytime the FBI wants to do one of these scans. ICE, on the other hand, they don't seem to have these same broad agreements because they don't have their own databases that they're harnessing, as far as we know, um, to make agreements with states. So they're just going to, in this case, we know um, Washington, Vermont, Utah, and ask, and telling them, hey, we'd like to run a scan through your DMV database. Here's the person we want to look for. Can you run a scan for them? So the pictures would be coming from surveillance cameras or just pictures that police officers are taking? Um, I'm not sure yet what are the full range of pictures ICE is looking at. Typically for the FBI, it's for investigative purposes. So it could be anything from, um, you know, a mugshot picture of, oh, we want to see if someone who's been arrested has anything else out there that we could find in, you know, other states and other databases. Or it could probably be an investigative photo where you take something from a CCTV, takes a photo that a witness took with their camera, um, something like that. Or if it's a person of interest, you know, if, say, a witness came and said, oh, I want to report something about my neighbor, here's a picture of them, can you find out if you have any info from them uh, on them, it might come from something like that. I see. So why is it notable that these federal agencies are using DMV photos as opposed to their own databases? Uh, well, first of all, there's the fact that, I mean, this really does implicate anyone. So if you're in one of these states that has one of these agreements and you have a driver's license or went to the DMV even for a non-driver's license, just a government-issued ID, that means you're implicated anytime the FBI does one of these searches or in the case of um, state and locals, if, if they do a search as well just within their own state. And facial recognition is notoriously inaccurate. It's very problematic. It's especially problematic for women and people of color. Multiple studies have confirmed that there are higher rates of error for women and people of color. So that means even if you have nothing to hide or not worried about the privacy implications of this yourself, you still should be worried because you could end up being the target of an investigation because police are outsourcing investigative work to a glitchy computer system that is going to end up pulling the wrong people in a lot of the time. That means you could become the target of investigation. That means you could be subject to police action. Another thing about this is, like I was saying before, this is not something that happened with public approval. In pretty much all of these states, this was just something that the state governments did um, completely out of public view in agreement with the FBI. So you have thousands, millions of people going to their state DMVs without the any sort of knowledge that they're actually signing themselves up to be in a surveillance database. So with the lawmakers, are they usually supposed to be part of this process? Is that traditionally how it works? Well, uh, this is a bit unlike any process we've seen before. So there isn't much um, tradition to go back on. In fact, these facial recognition databases, this is the first time ever that we've seen a database that's primarily composed of people who are not um, connected to past crimes, either convictions or even arrests. This is These databases are mostly filled with individuals that have a no connection to criminal activity or investigations. But yeah, typically 
when you're setting up something like a fingerprint database, a DNA database, um, you go through a legal process, you appropriate specific funds for it, you authorize the government to engage in certain forms of collection. Um, that didn't happen here. The FBI, I mean, they, they have been developing some databases through an authorized fashion for Congress, but Congress has never authorized um, conducting facial recognition scans. That's something that's pretty much happened on its own. It just isn't a developed investigative technique by the FBI and other agencies. And certainly the, these states, they have never gone through any sort of debate or public process about handing over their citizens' data to the FBI for use in investigations. What do you make of the DMV's role in this in providing these pictures to these agencies? Are they required to? Are they just willingly going along with this? So this comes from a early 90s law called the um, Driver's Privacy Protection Act passed in Congress that says that DMVs are allowed to enter into agreements with federal government agencies to share private information, um, in this case, you know, biometric information. So they aren't required to always do this, but they can set up voluntary agreements to do, it, to do so. And that's what a significant number of states have done with the FBI. Um, so that's what's happening there. So uh, the states could restrict this. Um, Congress could also change the Driver Privacy Protection Act and say, hey, if the FBI wants to get um, biometric data, facial recognition data through this system, they have to comply with um, X, Y, and Z restrictions. So you could have restriction on this either from the state side or the federal side. So you've described this arrangement as a surveillance first, ask permission later system. What do you mean by that? Well, in essence, I mean, this is a system where we're potentially fundamentally changing the nature of how people can go about their lives in obscurity in public. Um, you know, up until now, if police were at a large protest, political rally, something like that, you wouldn't expect a police officer could memorize the faces and look up the name of 10,000 people at a Bernie Sanders rally or a Donald Trump rally. Now they simply can push a button and have a system ID everyone. And you also have all the public safety risks that come with inaccuracy problems with this. Um, you know, I if this starts to become more widespread cities, I would be very worried just walking down the streets if a police CCTV uh, captures me, runs a facial recognition scan, and says that I'm a wanted criminal at large or um, the suspect related to an Amber Alert or something like that, and that police officers should come running um, to you know apprehend a dangerous criminal. Can you talk a bit about the implications for people of color and women uh, of this arrangement? So there have been numerous studies, um, including um, one that was co-authored by an FBI expert that have found that women and people of color are much more likely to be misidentified for through facial recognition scans. This is primarily when we think due to database compositions, although there may be other factors that technologists could discuss um, in more effective detail. But the end result, it, there's a pretty clear consensus that women, people of color, and especially women of color, darker skinned women, are much more likely to be misidentified through facial recognition systems. And that has a pretty big impact when you're talking about law enforcement operations. You know, if you're scanning to try to identify a person of color, a woman, a woman of color especially, there's a much higher likelihood that, they're, that the system's going to mess up. And if you're doing applications that police are increasingly doing now, like say stopping someone on the street and then taking a picture to try to identify them or re not even stopping them, taking a picture and then on the basis of that scan, wondering, you know, seeing if the system says you should stop them. Those are pretty severe ramifications. I mean, it's there's a lot of the same issues raised in things we've seen like the stop and frisk case in New York where if you're 
you're going to end up disproportionately impacting certain groups, um, racial groups, that raises a lot of very serious civil rights questions. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Jake LaPeruk, Senior Counsel at the Constitution Project. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So ICE didn't comment to the post, but the FBI sort of defended itself by saying that while they use facial recognition to find helpful leads, agents are expected to verify and find uh, definitive proof. Do you buy that justification? Um, on a basic level, you know, it, it seems to be them saying, we, well, we expect human review to follow facial recognition. That's a very important rule, but there need to be more concrete actual rules as opposed to just lack standards about how that works. Um, because a lot of the time, the way an investigation starts can influence what you do afterwards. And there are concrete examples of this happening with facial recognition. So, for example, um, a recent report about some activities in New York, there was a case where facial recognition system picked someone up. The system came back with a match. The officer, instead of then saying, OK, we're going to make this person someone a person of interest, we're going to set up a photo array, a lineup follow proper model rules of criminal procedure. They just texted a picture of that person in the match and said to the witness, this is the guy, isn't it? You know, that's technically human review, but it seems pretty clear that the facial recognition skin is having a disproportionate impact on the process and probably tainting um, further evidence gathering. You know, if you send a witness one picture and imply that it's the person, they're probably going to say yes. So while I'm happy to hear that that's the mentality they have, I think there's a lot of questions about to what degree is human review actually impacting further action and to what degree is the initial facial recognition match becoming something that has undue weight on the entire investigation going forward. The one real way to remedy it is to have strict rules that limit how much weight facial recognition matches can carry as evidence and ensuring that officers abide by those rules. Another defense you often hear is that we should be using facial recognition for high pressure situations that are really important. So Amber Alerts, terrorist situations, uh, finding victims of a a natural disaster. Uh, Do you think that that's merited? Well, I I understand the the desire to, you know, think about wanting to do everything we can in those situations. But I think the question it raises is, does facial recognition actually make those situations better in terms of trying to help victims to resolve situations? for scenarios like that, it's something where you're conducting real-time or untargeted facial recognition. This is where instead of you know, taking a photo, running that one photo through a database and trying to come up with a name, you're scanning a video feed of an entire crowd continuously and trying to see if anyone on that feed pairs up against someone on a watch list. Um, now, real-time facial recognition is incredibly inaccurate, perhaps more so than any other um, form of this technology. A few departments in the United Kingdom have been running uh, pilot programs on this. One in South Wales had an error rate of over 90 percent 
London also ran a pilot program on real-time facial recognition. Its error rate was 98%. So, I mean, when we're talking about setting, you know, having a false alarm 98 out of 100 times through a system like this, that doesn't sound like it's actually going to help in these situations. It's probably just going to misdirect police resources and potentially endanger innocent individuals who are improperly being flagged as you know, serious threats on a watch list. So I, I, I think that might be a debate we want to have sometime in the future. But for now, this technology, real-time facial recognition, I think is far, far too inaccurate to be used in real-world situations. So you said what's notable about this case is that ICE is now using the technology. Does the equation, the privacy equation, change at all uh, now that we have undocumented immigrants that are the target? Are they more vulnerable to this sort of uh, overreach? Well, I think there's definitely a unique vulnerability in terms of the chilling effect. Um, and that's something we see in this technology in all kinds of ways. You know, if we don't have effective rules on facial recognition and it could simply be used to collect data on what you're doing, who you're associating with, is that going to make people less likely to go to a protest or a political rally or see a doctor, or go to an AA meeting, um, things like that? Um, and that's certainly something that undocumented immigrants have to fear to an even higher degree because there have been instances in the past couple of years despite departmental policies of you know, camping out and trying to arrest individuals and detain them um, when they go in to court proceedings, when they go to hospitals, um, things like you know, churches, you know, basic aspects of living in a society and targeting those areas. Um, because facial recognition automates the ability to identify individuals, it makes the prospect of seeking out those basic services um, scary and might chill individuals away from doing them in a way that I think, you know, regardless of how you feel about immigration policy, um, most people would say that you know anyone who's in need of going to the emergency room should have the chance to do so. So where do lawmakers go from here? Uh, do you think that there should be some sort of federal ban similar to the ones we see in San Francisco and uh, Somerville, Massachusetts? Or do you think we should just go about limiting and restricting what the FBI and ICE can do? Uh, well, there, there's been some discussion of moratoriums and bans. I would much rather have us looking at facial recognition from saying what should we allow than um, what should we limit given the risk of this technology. I think something like a, a ban would be very hard to pass on the federal level, but there are definitely some very strong but common sense measures we could take. Um, warrant requirements like we have for wiretaps or reading you know, texts and emails would be a very clear way to establish independent oversight over a powerful surveillance tool. Limiting this to serious crimes the same way we do with wiretaps um, seems like another measure that I think you could get a pretty broad consensus for. Uh, testing and auditing standards to make sure that the types of you know, vendors and systems that are being used are actually effective um, you know, is not just something that's good for civil liberties. That That's good for the police departments using this. So I think something like that is a pretty common sense measure. And there are a number of other ones as well. Um, and I think this seems like something where there is a good deal of bipartisan support uh, earlier this year, there were a couple of hearings in the House Oversight Committee, and there was very broad bipartisan condemnation of facial recognition and a desire to put limits on it. Uh, and actually, just this morning, uh, Representative Jim Jordan, you know, he's a very vocal conservative member, um, was speaking out against ICE using this technology. So it seems like facial recognition does defy the sort of traditional partisan attitudes that you might expect of, you know, where conservatives and progressives will line up against each other or you know, ICE will become kind of a political wedge. Um, in this case, it seems like Democrats and Republicans both want to put limits on this. So hopefully it's something that Congress can do soon. 
Yeah, the the House Committee on Homeland Security is holding a hearing on federal use of facial recognition tomorrow. Uh, ICE won't be there, but other agencies such as the TSA will be. What should we be looking out for? Um, I hope that we'll get more information on the biometric exit program that CPB runs. This is a system where anytime anyone, including U.S. citizens, are leaving for international flights, they go through a facial recognition scan before boarding their plane, and their faces run against all the photos from the flight manifest. Um, Now, that's somewhat limited in scale, but CPB has been expanding this program very rapidly and has not been giving out clear or sometimes even consistent information on how they're going to go about adding it to more airports, to seaports, land ports, hubs that are major areas of travel, not just for leaving the country, but for domestic travel as well. And we still don't see any real efforts by CPB to address these issues of misidentification, especially across demographic groups that are higher for women and people of color. Um, CPB recently gave a comment on that issue saying, well, we don't record who goes through the system, so we have no way of even knowing if there are higher rates of error for women and people of color. The, the data is pretty clear that there are. It seems like CPB just isn't is examining to what degree the problem exists in their systems. So I hope that there will be a lot of focus on to what degree CPB actually plans to expand that system, getting some clear answers on that, and pressure from members to get to make them more invested in examining misidentification risks and how to deal with them. So uh, is there anything the general public can do to protect themselves? Do you do anything to try to duck these systems, or is it really just lawmakers that have to step in at this point? No, unfortunately, I mean, you, know, you can you know, change your, the license plate in your car. You can change other identification info about you. You can't change your face, um, and that's one of the big concerns about facial recognition. Um, it's a biometric form of identification, and it's a form of biometric identification that doesn't require any notice or interaction or consent. Um, If the police want to fingerprint you, they have to come up and ask to fingerprint you. If they want to do a facial recognition scan, they just need you to walk by a camera. And police are also using increasingly more sort of sketchy ways of trying to fill out facial recognition scans. So even if you're, you know, not presenting a clear view to a camera, there have been reports in New York and other areas that they're effective. They're using basically CGI technology to fill in eyes if someone's eyes are closed, or fill out the entire, you know, right side of someone's face if they only capture the left side of their face on camera. Never mind the fact that people often have asymmetrical faces, so that's not a very good way to get an accurate result. Um, even police departments are starting to use composite sketches, taking you know a um, police drawing and plugging that into a database. Um, and having the system treated as a photo. So you said that there seems to be a bipartisan support for more rules on this technology. What's stopping this from uh, moving forward? I mean, this has been an issue for a while, it seems like. I, I think right now it seems that lawmakers are just trying to get a handle on what are the best rules that they want and what's politically feasible, um, and then go from there. You know, I mean, there are a huge range of measures that you could take on facial recognition. It, it's not something, unless you believe in a, a full ban, where there's really a single silver bullet that could effectively um, regulate the technology. Ideally, I think you want to, you probably have, you know, between half a dozen and a dozen different measures that would be working together to properly limit facial recognition and make sure that it's used properly. Um, something you know, like warrant requirements, a serious crime limit, requiring human review. Those items could all be passed individually, but they'll work a lot better if they're all 
if they're all existing in concert. Um, so I think lawmakers are looking at things like that. They're trying to still get more information on where this is being used so that they can effectively put regulation into place in those areas. Again, we don't, we still don't know much about what ICE is doing with this. Um, we don't know about other agencies as well. So I think lawmakers want to have make sure they have a full handle on what's actually out there. And yeah, I think there, there's also the political questions to consider of what can we get past. Yeah, it does seem like these agencies haven't been super forthcoming with their use of the technology, and it seems like they're not required to report it. Is that right? No, there aren't existing reporting requirements, although there has been a strong level of inquiry from Congress on this measure. It'll be interesting to see what continues to come out from ICE, because previously, senators have asked them, do you use facial recognition? Are you considering implementing facial recognition? And the response was pretty much, well, other than piggybacking sometimes off the F, um, the custom and border protection system, no, we don't do any of our own systems. That ignored these talks that they've been having with Amazon and seems to also ignore what we know now about them asking states to conduct scans for them. If you looked at their conduct, you would say it certainly doesn't really meet with the spirit of what senators were asking, which is, are you engaged in using facial recognition at all? We're, we're seeing plenty of examples where the answer is yes. So you mentioned that there's a lot of support on the federal level for more restrictions. Are you seeing the same thing on the state level, since they could also put restrictions on this? Definitely in some areas. Um, there are a couple of states that have enacted restrictions um, and localities. Um, you mentioned San Francisco and Somerville, which have put out full bans. Um, Washington also has some limits on facial recognition, especially how it's used in relation to body cameras. There's a prohibition there. Um, and then a few other states are looking at mostly more specific measures, you know, applying it in combination with other technologies such as body cameras, drones, things like that. I expect the more that attention this issue gets, the more you'll see states start to consider broad limits or prohibitions on facial recognition. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about Axon, the law enforcement tech company. Uh, their ethics board recently advised that they not put facial recognition into their body cameras because it's so unreliable. Do you think this is a significant decision, or are they just kicking the can down the road until it does become reliable? I don't think we should rely too much on expecting this to solve the problem um, of body cameras and facial recognition. Certainly, they could change their mind at any time. But I do think it is a pretty significant sign of how unreliable this technology is. Just a couple of years ago, Axon was very vocal about the fact that they wanted to put facial recognition in all their body cameras in the future. So the fact that they've done such a 180 on this, I think, is a really clear sign that when you start to look at um, this type of tool, this is another instance where it would be real-time, untargeted facial recognition. It's just so prone to error that it's really likely to do more harm than good. Um, in terms of actually thinking about the policy of facial recognition in body cameras, the risks are so great when you have an officer who's going to potentially get you know, a warning light flashing on their body camera saying that someone in front of them is dangerous. Um, they have no opportunity for independent review by others. They have no opportunity for human review. They don't really have potential to stop and consider the reliability of the information because they're going to be dealing with someone right in front of them. I mean, that that's just a huge set of landmines in terms of potential problems. On the, You could, you know, have officers who feel pressure to ignore what could be a real threat because these systems are so unreliable, you also could have officers treating someone who's just been misidentified by these error-prone systems as a serious threat when it's just an average person walking down the street. So probably the only real way to 
prevent those harms is to ban facial recognition and body cameras. Limits might be effective in other areas to make sure that this is properly restricted, but I don't think there's any real way to have body cameras and facial recognition combined in a manner that's not dangerous. Well, uh, Jake, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, we're going to take one more quick break. But when we come back, Shannon Paulus will join me for this week's edition of Don't Close My Tabs. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's time for Don't Close My Tabs. And joining me this week is my colleague, Shannon Paulus. Hey, Shannon. Hey, how's it going? Uh, all right. So what's your tab for this week? Um, my tab is from CNN, and the headline is, A dancing cockatoo named Snowball learned 14 moves all by his little bird self, researchers say. And if you don't remember, Snowball is like an early viral breakout star from 2007. Um, his owner uploaded a video to YouTube of him like headbanging to the Backstreet Boys. And recent research, <laughs> I think in which researchers just like watched him dancing around to Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Another One Bites the Dust, they concluded that he learned 14 different like distinct dance moves all by himself. And um, the most important part about this story is that there's a video, which I've watched so many times today, <laughs> and it's just brought me <laughs> so much joy. That's a great research assignment. Yeah. I'm very jealous of the assistants <laughs> who are part of that. I uh, know. I wish I knew that this was like an option for being a scientist right. back when I was in college. <laughs> and what's your tab for this week? My tab this week is a study published uh, last week called Genetic Ancestry Testing Among White Nationalists. So basically, these two researchers visited the white supremacist website Stormfront and read thousands of forum posts in which members talk about taking DNA ancestry tests. The thing with these tests is that it's extremely rare for a person to have 100% of their genetics traced back to a single source like Europe. So when these white supremacists take the test, they find out that they might be 30% Native American or 10% Middle Eastern. And then the researchers cataloged how people reacted to that news. So some people predictably attack those who find out they're not 100% quote unquote white and tell them to leave. Other people think that these companies are engaging in sort of some sort of conspiracy 
and uh, fudge the results so that people think that they're partially not white and promote multiculturalism. And uh, it's just ridiculously absurd, but also really disturbing. And it's a really smart study into how this ideology kind of warps you. Did anyone like kind of see the light and change their minds about white supremacy after these results? It actually seems like they became more entrenched, at least from what I saw from the comments. Oh, um, no. Yeah, some people were saying, like, <laughs> if you look white, then you are white, uh, which is not great. That's super depressing. <laughs> I was hoping that there was at least going to be, like, an uplifting, like, oh, yeah, technology made them realize yeah, that these views are fucked up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this was a depressing tab. Well, let's go watch Snowball a few <laughs> <more> times. <laughs> At least this bird is having a good time in the world. Exactly. (laughs) All right, that's our show. You can email us at ifthen at slate.com. Send us your tech questions, show and guest suggestions, or just say hi. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Aaron T. Mack. Thanks again to our guest, Jake LaPeruk. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake LaPeruk. And thanks to everyone who has left us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen. We really appreciate your time. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you want more of Slate's tech coverage, sign up for the Future Tense newsletter. Every week, you'll get news and commentary on how tech advances are changing the world in ways small and large. Sign up at slate.com slash future news. Our producer is Cameron Drews. Thanks also to Danielle Hewitt, who engineered for us in DC today. We'll see you all next week.